So we're continuing in our series where we're looking at places in the gospel of Mark where Jesus engaged in debate, where he was confronted by religious leaders uh, and able to, to answer them and give clarity to why he had come in the first place. So I want you to think about the average week during your year, maybe at the height of your busyness. So how does it go? Do you spring out of bed at the sound of the alarm on Monday morning, or are you prone to hit the snooze a few times and then find yourself feeling behind the rest of the day? Right? Do the kids quietly and obediently get ready for school, or do you find yourself desperately pleading, trying not to raise your voice, that everyone just get their shoes on and get out the door into the car? Does everyone get to practice or piano lessons with time to spare? Are you one of those who's coming in on two wheels? Are you efficient with your errands? Or do you end up making yet another trip to the grocery store? And don't forget about work. Do all the emails and phone calls, do they get returned promptly? Everyone always play nice at the office. And don't forget about sleep. Do you get a solid eight hours, three nutritious meals a day? I'm sure you get the exercise that you need and want. And what about the recreation on Saturday? Everyone always in a chipper mood or do you question whose brilliant idea this was as you circle the parking lot once again, just trying not to lose it? Six days, the Lord tells us we shall labor and do all our work. And after those six days, days where we don't get enough sleep, where plans go awry, where we don't get everything done, what is it that we need? Maybe a morning jog, a round of golf, time in front of the TV, now, there are all sorts of things we may want, things that ostensibly do us good and are not inherently sinful. But what do we need for the care of our souls? To truly give our bodies rest. There's always a quick fix to be sought, just as there are sugar-loaded drinks to give us a boost of energy just to get us over the hump. But what has God given us that we may truly flourish? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Have you noticed that in our world we tend to prize and idolize the things that never stop? Just look at our technology. It's, it's made never to cease. We never turn off our phones. We simply recharge them so that they'll be awake when we are. But when God finished the work of creation, we are told he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It was God who observed 
and kept the first Sabbath and thus set a pattern for all of creation. And when God delivered Israel from their Egyptian bondage, where I've read the vacation policy wasn't great, God verbalized in the Ten Commandments what he wove into the moral fabric of the universe. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And while certain aspects of Israel's observance of the Sabbath, what we call ceremonial laws, are no longer operative because Christ fulfilled all of those things that were there to foreshadow him, the command to keep the Sabbath holy by resting still stands. And we can understand why that is. Your body, mind, and soul know what's needed isn't just another way to squeeze out more energy, to get one more activity in. But what is needed is rest. We don't need another 24 hours to pursue what we've been pursuing all week, but a day devoted to worship in the fullest sense. And in Jesus' day among the Jewish people, no one campaigned to get rid of the Sabbath. But there was controversy. Things around the Sabbath had become clouded, and the rest that God intended was getting obscured. And so our passage this morning reveals who has authority over the Sabbath. And it shows us ultimately how to enjoy the day our bodies and souls truly need. So our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Now we all just celebrated the 4th of July. It's one of those holidays we all know how to celebrate. Fireworks hot dogs, potato salad, more fireworks. At least that's how it was in our neighborhood. And now imagine, so now imagine your neighbor comes along and wants to debate the proper way to celebrate Independence Day, arguing that fireworks and hot dogs are all wrong. My guess, hopefully, is that you'll defend everything that is great and worth preserving about the fourth. 
You see, when it comes to a day like our Independence Day, we want to honor it correctly. We want to honor it correctly because it is fundamental to the American character, to the American project. To lose a true sense, which I know goes far beyond fireworks and mystery meat, to lose a true sense of that day would result in an identity crisis. And for Israel, to lose the Sabbath was to jeopardize their identity as God's people. When Moses reiterated the Ten Commandments, as Israel finally prepared to enter Canaan after 40 years, Moses added another dimension to why the Sabbath was to be kept. He said, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The identity of God's people from the beginning to now has always been constituted by God's redemption. And so who are we? We are the people God has redeemed by grace. We are those who've been shown mercy, who've been brought out of our darkness into a marvelous light. And so we can understand why Israel's judicial law penalized Sabbath-breaking severely. Laws around the Sabbath were meant to protect the people's memory. It was meant to set them apart as light to the nations. But as we see in our passage, not every attempt to guard the Sabbath was on point. For the Pharisees in our text, Jesus' disciples needed to be reprimanded, even punished. For in their eyes, plucking those heads of grain constituted work. And work had no place on the Sabbath. In their minds, if such behavior continued, it wouldn't be long before the Sabbath was totally ignored. But the irony, as Jesus makes clear, is that it is the Pharisees who are jeopardizing the Sabbath. They are the ones who will end up destroying what Israel was meant to bestow upon the nations as a blessing. And Jesus' answer, far from abolishing the Sabbath, sets it free from those who would misconstrue its purpose and deny its blessings to others. And Jesus' answer comes in two parts. And we see that he begins by citing this example from the life of David. I believe Jesus could have jumped right to the conclusion he gives in verse 28 about being Lord of the Sabbath. But by working from the scriptures, he's able to show them that God's will hasn't suddenly changed. Jesus is proving to be the true interpreter of God's word. He brings out what is clearly there, what God intended, but what we so often miss. And the reference from David's life occurred in 1 Samuel Chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. And there, David, after learning that Saul did, in fact, plan to kill him, 
made the wise decision to go on the run. And he and his companions came to the tabernacle at Nob, where and requested food from the priest there, Ahimelech. So just on a very brief aside, Jesus says that this occurred when Abiathar was the high priest, while 1 Samuel has Ahimelech giving the bread to David and his men. So what, what is going on? Several resolutions have been offered to this supposed discrepancy. But it's probably the case that the reference to Abiathar is, in, is to indicate the section in the scroll where the incident could be located. Since Abiathar was the high priest during David's reign, he was the one most associated with David, meaning sections of the scroll dealing with David and the priests, as this story is, would have fallen under the larger heading of Abiathar. So Jesus is simply alluding to where this story is found and instead of giving a precise retelling. And so while there appears to be a disagreement, there is a resolution there that's just hard to see in our translations. And now we know that and what we know is that the bread of the presence were 12 loaves set out before the Lord each Sabbath on the table in the holy place. And when fresh loaves were brought in, the priests would consume the weak old bread. I thought, you know, I don't know when it changed when people started bringing their pastors fresh baked pies, but I'm glad that that has changed. And so, yes, in a technical sense, David and his men violated the law. But when David and his companions came to the tabernacle, fleeing for their lives, what do we know about their condition? Jesus tells us in verse 25, they were in need. They were hungry. And as the text should suggest, the bread of the presence was the only available food. You see, Jesus doesn't debate with the Pharisees if the disciples' actions qualify as work. We never hear Jesus getting into that debate whether we're allowed to power walk but not jog. His point is to draw the Pharisees' attention to a larger concern, human need. And so notice the example here isn't saying that when it comes to the Sabbath, well, do whatever your heart desires, it's fine. Because we know that sometimes our hearts aren't interested in doing good. Jesus' instruction is that when it comes to the Sabbath, we must not overlook opportunities to do good. We learn that even rules regarding worship, including the Sabbath, must not be set up to deny men their basic necessities. And yet Jesus doesn't give us a precise list of those tasks that are necessary to preserve life and health, does he? And that's because there are things that arise that no amount of planning or preparation 
can take care of. Sometimes we must simply meet the need before us, even if it means setting aside worship with God's people. The law about the bread of the presence was there for a good reason. But I think what Jesus is saying is that even good reasons can be set aside for greater purposes. And so if your child breaks his arm on Sunday morning, it's not going to do anyone any good to bring him to Sunday school. Go ahead and go to the doctor. But we must not use the example from David's life to excuse our poor planning and preparation. If there's an opportunity during the six days of our labor to do good, well, there is no time like the present. And while the Pharisees went wrong in overly scrutinizing what qualified as work, Maybe in our day, we are just too loose in how we determine what is good for our life and health. And I think that error is answered by Jesus' second part of his answer. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so first, just notice that Jesus does not say the Sabbath was just made for Israel, but it was made for man. It was made for us. And while, the Sabbath, and while the Sabbath is a day given to God, it is not God who stands to gain anything by our rest and by our worship. You can imagine why Israel never enjoyed a Sabbath in Egypt. Pharaoh always stood to gain by their labor. But God, who stands in need of nothing, has given us this day, as, as one theologian put it, as the epitome of his generosity as creator. Nothing that we do on the Lord's day, whether it be prayer and singing, reading God's word, doing deeds of mercy, add anything to God. He cannot be more glorious more divine by anything we do. So while it is a day devoted to him, the Sabbath was made for us. See, rest does not mean inactivity. But the activity we engage on on the Sabbath is of a different kind than our six-day labor. Our activity on this day is pursuing the one who does not need us to work for our salvation. It is activity seeking the one who provides abundantly, who upholds all things by the power of his word. Is it a day to be spent with the God of the universe who does not need you to punch a clock or ever submit a time card? The Sabbath was never meant to demean our six-day labor. The Sabbath does not outlaw hard work or aspiring to excel in our vocations. There is something beneficial to all of that. It is good for us 
to work and to work hard. But there is also a benefit that can only come by setting aside those earthly things for rest and for a deep worship. And for us as Christians, we, we see this day in a new light. So while the purpose of the Sabbath remains, because of Christ, because of his life and his death and resurrection, something has changed about the Sabbath. Israel worked six days, then rested on the last day of the week. We, as J.V. Fesco says, we, on the other hand, rest first then work in gratitude for the completed work of Christ. Each Lord's day, we rest from our labor and celebrate our redemption from the bondage of Satan, sin, and death. We work from gratitude. We work from what already is finished. You see, we rest on a new day, the first day of the week because the Lord of the Sabbath has finished his work. It is our sin that polluted the day of rest that we were meant to enjoy. Our sin alienated us from God, leaving us in a state of restlessness, idolatry, and darkness. But as one author says, Christ resurrection. It was the dawning of the new creation of life and immortality, the pinnacle and turning point of history. As Paul said, because of Christ, the old is gone and something new is here. Christ rose for your eternal rest in life. And so when we do err when it comes to observing this day and keeping it holy, what can we do? When we feel too exhausted, too distracted, maybe even too sinful to enjoy the Lord's day, where do we turn? We once again turn to Christ. We come to him with all of our sins, aches, and sorrows. It is Satan, the world, and even our flesh that tell us that if we are to have what we need, we have to depart from God that we must bypass him on our way to happiness. But friends, all we could ever need is in Christ. Everything God could ever give us for our eternal joy is found in Christ. It won't be found in the office. It won't be found out in the mountains. Everything that is truly satisfying is in Jesus.
Jason Halopoulos is the senior pastor at the University of Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan. In an article written for the Gospel Coalition, he reminds us of what we have in Christ. He says, if we desire love, it is found in his spread arms on the cross. If we want hope, it is found in his resurrection. If we seek peace, it is found in his blood shed for us. If we seek joy, it is given in his spirit. Happiness, it is found in knowing what awaits us. Power, you will rule with him forever. Friends, just listen to your souls. Listen to your body. There is no debate. We need rest. We need to worship the true and living God, the creator and sustainer of everything. Every breath that we take, he has given us. We need to keep his commandments. We need what God gave us from the beginning for our souls and bodies. And all that we could ever need for doing so is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is found in the good news that your burden and your bondage has been lifted so that you are free to serve and learn from the one who is the true giver of rest. The invitation to rest in Christ is still open. Right now, this morning, that door is open for you. Christ does not turn away the tired. He does not turn away the faintly burning wick. Christ does not turn away the bruised reeds. He does not turn away those who don't have it all together, who have stumbled and failed in this life. He says, come. Lay it all on me. Lay it at my feet. And so don't harden your hearts. Don't think you ever have to bypass God for what you need. But believe in Christ. Friends, what you need today, Christ has without limit. Mercy, grace, love, freedom, power, hope. He's not going to run out on you. He gives freely. He washes completely. He saves to the uttermost. He loves perfectly. So what more could we ever need? Where else could we ever look? Let us pray. Lord God, as we continue to worship you, 
we just open our hands and ask you to give what we need, trusting in your grace that you will. We pray in the name of the one who died and rose again. Amen.